and welcome to episode 15 of the Talent Intelligence Podcast. Today we are joined by Alan Mahan, um, who is the founder of Brewer um, Craft Beer with a Purpose. Now, Alan and I worked together many years ago, probably more years than we would both care to admit, um, and I'm delighted to have you on today. How are you doing, Alan? I'm good. I always tell people that um, when you hired me for the Glover Sermon, it was uh, the best job of my life. I'm sure this is probably the best job of my life, but I really enjoyed it. So thanks for those two years of working in the cinema. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Good <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I've got a wee bit of a crackly, scratchy throat from coronavirus, but other than that, I'm, I'm good to go. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Let's hope you can power through this today. Um, so first up, Alan, can you give me a a, a, a potted overview of Brewgooder, um, how it came about and um, what it is that you guys do? Yeah, so Brewgooder is a craft beer brand that empowers other people, I guess is the best the best way to, to put it. Um, we make sure that every single one of our beers has a people positive outcome. So for the vast majority of our time, um, sort of with Brugger, that's always been water. And that kind of came from quite a personal experience that I had when I was 22, actually same time I was actually working in the Glover Cinema um, with you. We, I went to Nepal on a sort of volunteering, volunteering trip over the summer and it was female empowerment stuff, it was education, it was really, really cool, amazing experience, but I did what everyone tells you not to do, which is to drink an unsafe water source. So I ended up getting sick from some dodgy water and coming home to Glasgow, having to go and do some uh, tests, found out that I got a contracted parasite, got a really easy um, course of antibiotics and then effectively I uh, was back on my feet again um, within a week. I was in Glasgow with my friends, I was drinking, I was just going on with my normal life. And for me, like a lot of that time i just remember thinking maybe i've been called to do something in this this water space so for an entire year actually i was applying for the department for international development um grad scheme and then other you know charities and government jobs that were to do with international development and luckily i got rejected from pretty much every single one of them um when i did eventually leave the cinema uh, with a tear in my eye uh, i went to work for a scottish social enterprise called uh, social bike and it was really around, I guess, empowering homeless people or vulnerable people or people who experienced homelessness um, to to kind of start their lives again. So that was free food and coffee. So they always had something hot um, to eat or drink. That was employment opportunities and increasingly all the way through to, to housing and policy changes from a Scottish government level. And I went from being a poor student to a poor graduate in essence, but I traded up in the things that I really cared about, which were coffee and beer. And for me, beer was something that, everyone can relate to you could always have a conversation around beer and, and craft beer in particular was something that really was capturing the imagination of my friends my age group you know my social sort of milieu if you like and um, people were always you know interested in the local beers the the new styles the american and australians and, and there was so much energy around the category and i just thought wouldn't it be amazing if i combined my experience in Social Bite, which was building a brand that people cared about that also did a good thing in the world with a category that I really, really loved. And then effectively putting the cherry on top of a, of a cause that I kind of wanted to get into from a more 
boring or traditional point of view. So once I had the name Bruger and it was a good pun, I decided to build the rest of my life and identity uh, professionally around around that. Uh, but I just thought it was quite a, a normal thing to do. To I say normal, it was a it was a natural thing to do. Um, to to bring the beer, the love for beer, and building that brand with with water. And I think there was a natural affinity. Over time, we've actually done quite remarkable stuff. I think you know for the for the size of brand that we are, we've probably unlocked around 180 million liters of water across um probably about 150 different projects, more or less in in deeper and shallower ways. Um impacted the lives of over 100,000 people, which is great. And more recently after the pandemic or during the pandemic and, and coming at the back of it, we've actually decided that we're more than just a water brand in essence, like, um, or a water impact maker. We've went upstream, pardon the pun, I'm kind of getting conscious of all the, um, the water, water pun. puns that I've dropped in here, <laughs> but we went upstream um, to, to actually discover that we were really just about people positivity. Like, could we make beer that empowers people at home and abroad and we'll never lose that from a water point of view but you know depending on when this podcast is is in circulation there will be some beers out that that are actually making impact much much closer to home in areas that i've always kind of cared about and the team care about and hopefully as we grow that just becomes known that we make good beer but we also do it for a very specific reason having started out to, to do something that we always cared about about making a positive difference in. yeah Definitely, that's amazing. I remember when you first, when kind of the, the chat about Brugger first came out, there was, it felt like everyone was creating a craft beer at that time. Yeah. Like there was just so many of them, but obviously like, you know, Brugger really stood out because it wasn't just making a beer. It was making yeah. a beer that had a positive difference. Um, so obviously you're moving away a little bit, not moving away, but diversifying out of just, just water. But that is that has been the core um, for such a long time. Can you tell me how exactly you do provide the water? What's the mechanism of that? Yeah, I mean that's um, that's evolved and changed and been fluid uh, over time. Uh, I'm going to set myself a, a, a target to drop in as many water pumps as possible. <laughs> um, no, so I guess this, you know, listen, I started this when I was 25 years old. Um, very, very naive, um, followed a model of 100% profits donated to our charity, which would then invest in, in different charities. And that was great. At the time, we somehow, looking back on it, it kind of defies the laws of gravity, but we made decent profits in the first couple of years. I think, you know, probably within our first three years, donated about 100 grand to different projects. And how we did that was... We, in essence, didn't want to take on full projects ourselves because that's quite a costly undertaking. You know, we knew that there were people out there, I knew anyway from my research, that there were people who were whose job it was to create the, the solar-powered wells or the borehole wells or, you know, um, pipe water systems in different places. And really, if we could work in partnership with, with some of them, then we could get the most bang for our buck because, you know, we work really hard to make that money. We wouldn't want to do anything that was substandard or not sustainable or not reaching people in, in, in the best possible way. So for the first, I guess, three or four years of our um, life, we had a partnership with the, with the One Foundation who invested over well over two million pounds a year annually in, in various different projects, mainly in Malawi. So. Our first four years were really about quite intensive project work with them, probably, you know, in the 
in the hundred and somethings um, in terms of, of, of the different projects that we helped unlock. So we would always co-fund with other partners. So the risk wasn't always on us. But what that did was it created an enormously outsized initial water impact um, because we were giving away relative to our size quite a lot of money. Yeah. But we weren't investing in the business as much because we were effectively extracting the profit that should have been used certainly in the early um, years to to hire more people, grow sales, and therefore kind of create a sort of virtuous cycle. But we were where we were, and the naivety of just powering through was really the the thing that, that kept everything going. And that could only have gone so far until you know a chink appeared, and the chink that appeared was was coronavirus. So you know, within a weekend, all of your business is just thrown up in the air. You don't know when pubs are going to reopen you don't know when one of our big sales channels was was the office beer club so we sent beers to offices yeah, up and down the country like you know really big brands and suddenly everyone has to work from home so you're kind of put in this position where your business model is to give away profit but you definitely know you're going to make a loss right and you can't i couldn't trade or i couldn't pretend that we were going in the right direction if we didn't have the basic profits to, to distribute and we didn't know when that would be mm-hmm. so for me <clears throat> we sat down me and james um our co-founder he's also glasgow based and we sort of sat sat down and and kind of went well if we were to start again how would we build it better in mm-hmm. essence um and it kind of it's quite simple once we we thought of it we said well why wouldn't we guarantee a certain amount per liter of beer pint of beer sold that allows us to effectively invest in, in clean water projects with every beer because one of the things that we would have ran up against at some point was if you're a two three four five million pound ten million pound company and you were to sit in front of any consumer of your product and they said and they asked you what exact difference did my beer make you couldn't really point to it. it yeah yeah so if we if we made sure that every single beer gave that contribution rather than we get to the end of the year we decide you know how much profit is going to be invested then that actually drew a kind of straight line between the drinker and the and the, and the outcome yeah so we we called that the cost of goods so we set it at a certain level per, per liter of beer and then we actually realized that that amount would actually generate, if we did the maths and the sums properly, roughly, we were hoping it would probably um, generate about a, a hundred times the amount of beer that has been drank in, in essence. So there was this out, outsized impact per active purchaser or consumption. So we went and spoke to various different um, water charities. And we always wanted to follow that model where we gave people money to do what they were, they were good at. And we actually talked to the guys at Charity Water who are US-based, but probably the most transparent, the most you know progressive in terms of how they deliver water projects, how they communicate them and said, listen, if we gave you X amount, do you think that you know that would be able to unlock 150, 200 liters of water? And it more or less mapped up quite well. So we decided that we would, rather than just have the cost of goods committed, we would make sure that everything, every pint was worth 100 pints. So that's kind of how we've evolved that. Um, and we're hoping to reach a billion liters of water with them by 2026. Wow. Which would mean, yeah, which would mean a lot of beer being sold. But it's a really motivating thing because it's actually moved out of that realm of impacting people's lives and impact and then getting to that big water number, which actually when you think about it, 
will probably be much more impactful and much more sustainable over the long term. Yeah. Um, you hear all these stories about businesses that, you know, changed what they were doing during COVID, but it kind of sounds as though it, it, it almost let you reset and like yeah, redo the mistakes of the past or, you know, the things that you didn't know how to do in the past. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I'm not going to say COVID was good because it wasn't. Like, there was no no question about that. It's it's still creating problems for everybody. Yeah. But one of the things it did do was kind of give us, I guess, the space to say, what well, you know, there was almost a presumption that it's going to go to the wall, right? You know, you don't know how far in the future it's going to last. You don't know X, Y, and Z. So you said, we said to ourselves, like, listen, let's just make sure that if we do come out the other end of it in any shape or form it's much much more sustainable yeah. and it, and that still took a year right i still took probably from march 2020 to about april 2021 to really get it right but when we did we changed everything we changed the look of the beer we changed the the, the, the variety of beers we sell we changed how we sold them we built a team that was capable you know it used to be be a team that was younger than us or, or our age and now it's a team that's much more much older than us and you know not by by decades but people who are really really experienced and actually we thought james and i we knew what the brand was supposed to do and what the purpose was and what the impact was but really we didn't know how to sell beer actually we we pretty much we didn't and um, so we got in people so yeah the the, the notion of, of pivoting is is one thing but the notion of resetting is definitely much more true to what happened with Bruder around about 2020 2021 you almost didn't have anything to lose. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So 2021, um, you didn't, it wasn't just a case of, of pivoting and resetting. I was also reading about your, your work in progress um, that you had uh, launched last year. Now, the, the the point of that was to be actively anti-racist. Um, and obviously that came off the back of, things like BLM um, and, and, and all that was kind of going on last year. So tell me, so, you know, you're obviously in an industry that's a bit known for being kind of pale, stale male, um, as as the phrase goes. But can you tell me a little bit about work in progress, why you decided that it was something that Brewgooder were doing and I guess what you're most proud of in terms of that? Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. Like the the motivation for us to do work in progress as a an internal commitment, I guess, came from yes, the BLM movements, you know, stuff around George Floyd for sure. I guess sparked an international conversation around it. And James and I kind of took a step back and said, well, if we are again, it sort of feeds into these these conversations that were happening happening across the businesses, you know, if we are a brand that has values and cares about things, we have to be quite explicit in how we articulate those things. Yeah. And almost put out a statement of intent to say we are not in any way a good example of an anti racist company, an inclusive company, a diverse company. Largely because it's at the time there was only really two two guys i think we had we had another couple of employees who were who were female but you know we didn't want to fall into the trap of being the two white male middle class founders of this you know revolutionary beer brand that, that, that basically just perpetuates all the stereotypes that are in the beer industry anyway yeah we said that we want to get to a good place we might never get fully to that good place but at least we're going to be honest about it so we set ourselves 
a number of different um, targets. Um, I think there was 14 different action points that we made around anti-racism, around LGBTQ plus inclusion, around female representation and around disability um, that we wanted to kind of hold ourselves to. And, and the key thing for Work in Progress was that we had to release a, a, a report on ourselves to say where we went right and where we went wrong. And in a lot of areas, we didn't even get started in some things. And that was probably because we were naive and ambitious that we thought we could do everything in a year and it would, it would change. And, you know, we did some really cool stuff. So we set up a, a bursary for a um, student of colour to come and do the uh, Harriet Watt Bruning Distilling course. So it's a world-class course and we just wanted to get more diverse people into that because, you know, we could say all we wanted about here's our statement here's our values but actually that's not really going to change the industry from grassroots level but something like that could yeah so we did that we um my mind's drawn blank but we did loads of stuff um including actually starting to i say not hire people um to increase diversity but we ended up somehow um actually making a much more diverse team um so yes there was still you know, white males in, in leadership positions, but increasingly there are females, there are people of color, you know, there are queer people in our team now that we didn't necessarily have or, you know, what we know we wanted to make our team particularly as inclusive as possible or representative of the society we lived in. And the thing that I'm probably most proud of really is that we actually handed it over to those people to then implement the changes and to lead the changes. So Banerjee, yeah. who is one of our um, our first employee, if you like, of the of the of Brother 2.0, actually, she leads that, um, and she's going to be the one who who says whether or not we're on the right track or what we can be doing better, and yeah, just being open about it. And I think work in progress was something that, like I say, will never be complete, but at least we have at least once a year to to account for any of our actions across lots of different stuff, and it has changed who we work with as a company, what we say, how we talk and what we do. And I think that the old Bruder couldn't have had that conversation because it was too focused on water. Now it's actually a people positive beer brand. So, you know, making people more empowered at work or, you know, trying to find ways to increase opportunities for people is people positive. And it's now very much on, on brand, if you like, with, with what Bruder is all about, but really, taking a step back from the brand, it's what us as founders thought was the right thing to do, um, which I think is increasingly important as we start to take less and less of a hands-on approach to, to what the brand does on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. We've just, at Solutions Driven, we did the same thing this time last year. We hired a chief diversity officer and mm -hmm. you know did like a diversity promise and things. And and at the time it was, it was I think there was one woman on the leadership team and now it's a 50-50 split. And yeah. you know, we've we've hired lots of kind of people of color, lots of um, mm -hmm. um, people of, of different uh, minorities. And, and sometimes it's just being aware that mm -hmm. you have biases when you're hiring um, yeah. or anything that you're doing it, it, it just makes such a difference and, and looking back from from this time last year to just now which is what we're doing just now it's just really different really different and really really positive it's made a massive positive impact doing that and i'm sure that you've kind of felt the same thing yeah and i think that like you say it's not that you you don't then start to see changes as a result of like 
box ticking or yeah. you know you know oh we oh this is what we did whatever it actually just sort of i guess it happens like organically and i don't mean that because I, I don't think it does I, i'm struggling to think of the, the the words and i think maybe it won't be until in over 10 years time do we start to conceptualize what sort of structural changes were happening you know when, when people started to adopt these things but yeah definitely i, I just think it, it's it's better because you get to i, I mean i don't want to talk about arsene banger and arsenal's invincibles team um on 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 this podcast but there was a line in a documentary about that where you know arsene banger said we went from being a good team with a monoculture you know lots of english players where we won the double, you know, within six years time, they had a polyculture team from all around the world with all different talents that, that went yeah. the whole season unbeaten. And I actually was like, that's, he didn't mean it like that. He didn't mean it in that context. And maybe I've read into it a bit more, but there are rewards to be reaped from that polyculture that you can't get, even if things look like they're going okay with the monoculture. Yeah, definitely. Now I can't remember the stats because I can't, I, my brain just doesn't hold stats, but there are pretty compelling stats that the more diverse and inclusive any organization, any team of people are, the better the results are going to be just because you, 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 you get different skills of thought and, and different ways of thinking that come into it. So. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, now you were talking about, um, you, the, the, the Heriot Watt in, in the sponsoring um, someone yep. to get involved in the, the beer industry. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? The, the Heriot Watt, I mean, it's a world-class brewing and distilling uh, undergraduate and postgraduate. Uh-huh. Um, we provide £2,000 a year to for however long the course lasts, whether someone goes in as an undergrad or a postgrad, to effectively say, here's a financial you know, um, support, if you like. But really what we've tried to do is to make that something which is much more, you get to work effectively placements in our team. You know, we would obviously pay additionally to that. We're not trying to get as much as we can for two grand, but, um, you know, that you can input into some of our recipe designs or learn about the, the branding side or the marketing side or the purpose side of, of what we do. And for me, like that, that is quite powerful because I was chatting to somebody today, actually, about a, a previous call, and and they said that one of the most important things is being able to kind of, or they agreed with um, the sort of statement that one of the most important things is being able to see people who look and sound like you in industries or or whatever. If you don't, if you never see yourself as a, you know, business leader, because you, you you've never seen anybody who looks like you or sounds like you um, in that position, then you're 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 already the ceiling has kind of been set for you mm-hmm. so so for us it's kind of about how do we tell the stories of people who have been successful in brewing who are from effectively diverse backgrounds how do we you know underrepresented people how do we um say that that pathway should be open to you and then how do we give a little boost up to to make that that possible because you know there are people i admire in the brewing industry who you know especially someone like Garrett Oliver you know African-American um brewmaster just amazing guy has 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 pushed the boundaries of, of beer and food pairing of beer particularly and made it something that's you know I wouldn't say necessarily luxury but he's made it something that 
can can be can go toe to toe with you know wine paired yeah. you know food and all that sort of stuff or food pairing with wine and he's done he's done amazing things and there's you know I don't want to say there should be more Garrett Oliver's but are is there a reason structurally that there aren't that he is the one that I can point to rather than there being ten or fifteen you know you've got Jaeger Wise who's a female brewer um, in 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 the UK who's just doing amazing incredible stuff and and you know should there be or could there be more people you know that 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 are the people that in 10 years time the future Alan Lahans will be inspired by you know the future Garrett Olivers the future Jaeger Wises and if we can play a really small role in that then I think that would be something that's um something that we're, we'd be really proud of so the the applications open for that in June um and hopefully we'll have our first um enter into that course by by September wow well good luck with it um it sounds it sounds like it's going to be a uh, pretty awesome for for someone to get involved in that yeah. now obviously this is a, a podcast with a recruitment company so of course we're going to talk about hiring <laughs> um now I read on your website actually that you were looking to triple the size of Brewgooder by 2023. Now I know that you've mentioned that that some things have 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 changed recently, and it's it's more about people positivity. Is that still the case? And if it is, kind of how do you plan to go about that? Yeah, I mean recruitment is it's a hot. Well, I mean every topic right now is a hot topic when you're growing as fast as we've experienced in the past six months. But, you know, we went from a team of two to a team of 12, but 11, 12 is, is incoming, um, in the, you know, since August, really. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a huge, huge need for human resource or, you know, people to, to basically execute the vision. It's all, it's all well and good me saying we want to grow three times, you know, between now and 2023 what is who's going to do that right and can i do that myself can i hire i mean i haven't actually hired a person since since the august time i we've actually got in a managing director who has led that process and has done it really really well we've got outside support you know we've done the traditional sort of um i say traditional it probably isn't traditional but we've done you know linkedin job applications and then been inundated and then had to sort and sift and do all sorts of stuff and it's probably been really quite you know for for other people it's been quite quite time um intensive yeah. and that time can should should for most of those people be spent elsewhere in, in many respects but the team that we've been building like i say they used to i used to hire and you talk about i think you mentioned biases that you're not aware of you know i used to hire people like me who were ambitious and young and probably a bit wet behind the ears, but you know, really wanted to do good stuff. Yeah. But you know, you can't build a team at all of people who look like you like because you. the reason you know you should be hiring people who aren't like you who could do the stuff you can't do. And it and it took us, you know, four or five years to really discover the the secret sauce was to, to hire people for experience and and you know their their belief and alignment with the values of the company and we are definitely on track to to triple in the size of the company by the end of this year um wow. versus last year and that's that's hard but some of the projects that i guess will generate a lot of that that sales growth and a lot of that growth, a lot of that purpose growth sort of by by virtue of that these are really intensive projects i mean we're about to 
sort of go public with a skew tomorrow that, that's hitting retailers, which has just been massively complex, really, really good, really exciting, but just so much hard work. And that's mainly fallen between two members of our team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll never get the praise publicly unless you kind of do praise them publicly. So I can't wait to basically be like, this is the amazing skew, how good is this? But look at the people who've actually made this happen. And I think that increasingly, if we want to be a people positive company, we'll not get it right all the time. But if we hire people who are motivated, who are really experienced, who know how to put in the hard work when it's needed through those really, really hard um hard months of graft then the reward will be seeing the product come you know getting the praise for it and then hopefully getting a bit of time off to, to recharge um and yeah it's a really exciting period exciting period of recruitment for us and, and we might go from 12 to 18 by the end of this this year and that's something that you know i, I love seeing because every new person that comes into the business really 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 wants to work for us and yeah. um, we're attracting a lot of people who are probably bigger in their experience than than we are as a size of a company in many respects but i think it speaks to the fact that people want purpose from their jobs that they're prepared to go from you know our marketing director is ex highland spring right down to baby wow you know like exactly and and for me that that jump from them is something that i want to make sure that that works for them you know that that they do not regret that um, so it's a really interesting and challenging time. And I guess, ask me again in a year's time how that whole process of finding the right people went. Um, one of my favourite uh, my favorite marketers um, is a guy called Dave Gerhardt. And he's like just this marketing guru, right? And he always talks about hiring people who are smarter, more experienced, um, better than you. He's like, you yep. should never hire anyone who you think that you can teach. He's like, you should hire people who you think you can learn from so it sounds like that's what you guys are doing um, definitely definitely and, and yeah i think having the humility sometimes to realize that you're not that good at a certain thing is as big uh unlocker of success as you know someone giving you a check you know to to you know and like it's it genuinely can be transformative if you adopt that sort of mindset that you can't do everything well so why not hire people to do that stuff that you can't do well and then you focus on the stuff that you're, you're quite good at? Yeah, yeah. everybody does the things that, that, that they can do best. Um, now, talking about your your, your the, the way that you're hiring people um, and, and, you know, people coming from things like Highland Spring kind of leads into what I was going to talk about next, which is <laughs> in the last couple of years especially, people don't just go to their jobs now to earn money right now you you will know that being the type of 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 company that you are but they also want to come come home at the end of the day or finish their week and say you know i did something good this week and it's more than more than just earning a wage now that's particularly like pertinent for you has has that been something that has made people join the company is that idea of giving something back not just going to work every day do you think that's helped you get where you are yeah, there's a few interesting things, I guess. Now, I mean, it's just such a, it's such an interesting time to talk about why people do jobs, right? Like, I was doing a bit of research for something I'm writing about the Great Resignation and the, yeah. the notion that, like, actually at the time when the world economy looked as unstable as it looked, people were leaving their jobs to find 
potentially less paid jobs, but more fulfilling ones. And I think we have to be careful, right? We 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 could live in this bubble where, you know, wherever in the knowledge economy or service sector or fast growing bits in the economy, where we have the luxury to to move about for that reason. And I think there are people who don't really, really, really don't have that luxury. And I think everything I say should be tempered with the self-awareness that it's not great for everybody. Um, But I do think that increasingly there are people who are fortunate enough to be able to make those decisions. And when they are in a position to do so, they do tend, or not that they do tend, but there's an increasing trend towards them making those decisions. So, you know, our managing director is former Heineken CEO of Kingfisher Brands. You know, this guy is could, could have went anywhere for quite a bit of money. And I'm not saying that we don't pay him, but, you know, his motivation is, is definitely different than, you know, he treats this as his own startup. You know, he, he wants to not give back, but really build something forward. And I think that's the difference between we have so many interviews with people who say, you know, I've reached this point in my career and I just want to give back. And it's, I get it. It's nice. And maybe it's just a poor choice of words. But for me, I don't want to give back. I want to pay forward, right? I want to build something colossal that will be giving back for us in 10 years time, but for you know the rest of our, our, our lives on, on earth, right? So for me, there is a difference between like definitely the, the giving back versus the building something valuable. And I think that if people were to reflect, that's probably what they would they would land on. But yeah, we, we're attracting talent that I don't think we have any right to be attracting. But because purpose is so, you know, front of mind, at least in, in what we say and hopefully what we try to do, that that is motivating people who maybe are a bit more comfortable. Um, and that comfort can, can, can breed discontent and that discontent and energy and friction that they want to use their skills for something else is something that we can definitely benefit from and, and we 100% are benefiting from it. I think if you look at all the hires that we're making, they come from the blue chip end of, of our industry rather than you know anywhere else. And I think that that's great for this period of time. We're going to have to look for entrepreneurial talent in the future that might come from from a brand that's two or three years old rather than a brand that's 30 years old or, or whatever. But yeah, there's definitely a trend that we are benefiting from for sure. And I think that that will probably be something that people market to their prospective employees or to retain their existing employees yeah. is purpose. Like it's almost, you know, you've got your healthcare package, you've got your you know, your, your gym membership, you've bought your, you know, perk box, but, you know, we've also got this really strong purpose that makes it valuable to come to work. And I think that the, the people that, that nail that piece will be the ones who spend less on having to recruit because they have, they, they're retaining the message. Yes, exactly. Um, that it's not just about what you can get out of your job anymore. Um, yeah. Definitely. So my last and final question was going to be, you know, what are Brewgooder's plans for the future? But um, throughout the course of this podcast, we have discussed that you have quite a lot of plans for the future. So my last question is going to be, out of everything that you've got planned and coming up, what are you most excited about, say, in the next 12 months? Um, There are so many things to be excited about. I, I think one of the key things for us is that we are starting to get opportunities with retailers or with 
bar groups or with whatever that yes it's about supplying the beer but it's also about making sure that there is a purposeful skew or a purposeful beer on the bar or in the fridges of, of, of the retailer. And for me, like the bit that I'm really looking forward to is how do we grow from the water brand to the people positive brand whilst being authentic? Mm-hmm. Like how do we say that we're just not just attaching ourselves to any old cause because it's the cause in the news or because we think it will help us sell more beer. It's actually the opposite. You know, every time we have the opportunity to sell more beer, the first thing, like literally the first thing, and this is the luxury of my job, but the first thing is how do I make that the most impactful beer possible? Mm-hmm. Yes, it could do the water piece, but also what could it do? Could it do something closer to home? Could it do something in the environment? Could it do something with, you know, people could it be underrepresented, people could it be X, could it be Y. So for me, you will see a lot of skews. I say skews, people don't talk like that. No, you'll see a lot of beers, right? And co-op and as then hopefully morrison's hopefully other places um as well as really really cool on trade venues um up and down the uk and there'll be great beers and there'll be awesome fits and they'll be with potentially sometimes out of category brands which are really really cool and really really exciting but they will have so much more impact that you can build a story of of of, of people empowerment through and i think that they're all authentic so that's a really long-winded way of saying all the new beers that are coming out are, are what i'm excited about um i actually had a couple of the team were like oh like so like oh what are you doing today and i was like oh i'm, um, I'm talking to alan and founder of brewgator and we had like a, a team <coughs> event a couple of weeks ago and we had brewgator beers at it nice. um, and a few people just hadn't had the beers and were like tell them these beers are amazing by the way so Great. um I'm sure that everybody else will also be excited about the new beers that you guys have got coming out. For sure, I know. But yeah, that's good to hear. Cool. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on today. It has been so good to catch up um, and hear all about Brugger and all your plans for the future. Um, Yeah, thank you. Nice one. Thank you so much. Cool. Bye.